Oh, that's the other media I've been taking is um, I downloaded an emulator for Pokemon Yellow on my cell. <laughs> I love that from those like six notes, you're able to figure out what I was doing. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Welcome back to The Christ and Culture, the show where we discuss culture as a means of evangelization by finding elements of Christ and his church revealed within. This is Clint. And this is Steve. And we are glad to be back with you guys on the adventure this week. Steve, we have been kind of slacking the last couple of weeks and talking about one of the sessions that we do on the show, the current media session, just talking about what we are taking in ourselves from the culture. But because the last two episodes have been so long, we didn't even talk about it for like the last two or three weeks. So what, if anything, have you been taking in the last couple of weeks? Yeah, that's actually a great question. I have been. That sounds like an answer for someone who doesn't have an answer. <laughs> no, 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 no. Great question. Funny, funny enough, like I, I actually do have an answer. I've been reading a couple different books. I kind of took a hiatus on it, but I'm finishing up. Return of the Prodigal Son by Henry Nouwen. Yeah. Uh, it's a great book. And then also reading a book. So my, at work, several of us Catholics have banded together and started a Catholics Apologetics Club. Oh, cool. So we're reading Why We're Catholic by Trent Horn. It's really good. It's pretty basic, but it gives like a very wide overview. And so I think that it'll be really good for all of us. Just kind of a lot of people aren't theology majors. And so it's like their first introduction into apologetics. And then it's good to like, remember the very basic principles and everything. And I'm even learning a little bit through it, which has been good. And then we'll kind of crack down into very specific topics and like maybe pick a book that is really geared toward one specific apologetics. And so uh, it's kind of like a really nerdy thing that I'm doing, but I'm also kind of a really nerdy guy. I also just watched, rewatched the movie Big Fish for the first time in a long time on Sunday. And it's awesome, right? It is a great, it is actually one of my favorite movies. It's actually why I watched it. But that was really good. I watched that with, like, I had to introduce my girlfriend to it. And so we did that. And then I went and we were watching, I was introducing her also to the show Community. Because uh, she had never seen that. What? And both of these things are great. So that's the media that I've been in taking is basically schooling and culturing another human being in the ways of the world. Hey, that's what we do. That's good though. That's, that's a lot of good stuff. That Trent Horn book, uh, that's actually, from what I've been told, it's actually pretty easy to yeah. understand for someone who doesn't have much of a theology background, but covers a lot of really good stuff. So maybe, I think it's pretty cheap. Maybe I'll put a link to it in our description. You guys can check it out if you're interested in learning more about the Catholic faith, whether you are a Catholic already or you're just a non-Catholic who's interested in like, why are all these crazy people in this church. Yeah, absolutely. And that's actually kind of the point of the book is it's, it's there to help Catholics understand their faith, but it's also there for people who have no idea what the Catholic faith is to sort of begin having the discussions and sort of at least the base, why we believe the sort of things that we believe. And it, each chapter is geared toward very one specific thing. Like, why do we believe in anything? Like, why do we believe in God? Why do we believe God specifically is good? And then it just kind of goes from there. So it's actually, I actually like it. It's very systematic. But anyway, Clint, what are you intaking? 
I've actually been taking in a lot because it's been three weeks. And over that time, I'm just taking in quite a bit of stuff. So I think I had mentioned during the Hamilton episode that I had gotten Disney Plus just to watch Hamilton. And with that, I caved and just got the bundle. So I got Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus all in one go. And I have been taking advantage of that. So Steve, you know this about me, but I enjoy mixed martial arts, MMA, UFC, all that jazz. And on ESPN Plus, they actually have the original UFC. Oh, wow. Which I watched. I'd never seen them before, but they were pretty savage. So they're kind of hard to watch at times. But part of it, too, was there was a lot that happened in those first uh, like tournaments because it was actually a tournament where you had like three fights. And it kind of changed what we see today to make it uh, a little bit safer and the way people fight and stuff like that. So it was interesting to see kind of the transformation over the first two years of how that happened. So I watched those. I also, I don't know if you actually know this about me. I just told Gordon a couple months ago, but I actually wanted to be a zookeeper when I was younger. I wanted to work with chimps. I don't know if you knew that. I did not know that about you. I would have probably made fun of you a lot more had I known that. Really? Okay. Well, I like chimpanzees. So I actually wouldn't have made fun of you. I just, <laughs> I mean, I probably would have, but it wouldn't have been very funny. Yeah. That is pretty cool. That is neat. Yeah. Uh, well, they've just always been really interesting to me. So yeah. I watched the Disney nature. It's like a documentary, oh, cool. I guess, on on chimpanzees. So that was pretty interesting. Kind of just documents two different like tribes, I guess, of, of chimpanzees. So that was pretty interesting. And then on Netflix, I watched a movie with Will Ferrell and Rachel McAdams. So it's called Eurovision Song Contest, the story of Fire Saga. And it's like a, it's a Will Ferrell type comedy. It's not like grossly disgusting. There are some sexual jokes in it, but essentially it's about the Eurovision Song Contest, which I had never heard of before this, but they are two Icelandic singers from a middle of nowhere town and they enter this european song contest called eurovision where you write your own song and you enter into it it's a really good movie it's not like fantastic but i I really enjoyed it and because of that i was like this is a real tournament this is an actual contest that people do so i went and looked it up and listened to 60 years worth of Eurovision songs and there's some that were just complete flops not good at all but then there's some that are actually super catchy. And I actually recognize some of them that kind of went mainstream. So it's yeah, it's kind of cool to see see that. Cause it's a chance for maybe not super well-known artists to to get out there. But like ABBA, apparently that's how they were discovered. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. That is neat. Yeah. And then something that I wanted to tell you, I have not watched, but you are a big fan of Brave New World. I am a big fan of Brave New World, and I already think I know where this is going, but go ahead. I heard there's a TV show. I was just going to tell you that. There is a TV show. I actually just saw an ad today on Facebook about that. I am interested to see uh, how they're going to do it. Based off of what you described when we did an episode on it, it seems like a Game of Thrones type uh, material, if you, know, if you catch my drift. Maybe. I, I suspect there will be a lot of that, which is interesting because that almost like plays into some of the problems with Brave New World is like the spread and um, consumption of pornography. But right. I will be interested. And I'm, I'm trying to not be skeptical, but 
I mean, some of the main problems of Brave New World is that it is a society that is heavily contracepted, believes in like free love to the max, right. has abortion clinics on every corner. Like a lot of things that people in Hollywood don't actually have a problem with. Quite the opposite. They, they support. They support it. And so to be like, oh, now they're going to make a show where that's what makes it a dystopia. I, I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see how they're going to do it. I would be pleasantly surprised if they actually did justice to some of the moral decay that comes in a brave new world. Yeah, that would be interesting. And uh, mm-hmm. ho- hopefully they do. I mean, but you, you never know. And then the last couple, couple things I wanted to mention here were a book that I finished. So I've been waiting six months to read this book. Finally got the chance to. It's called Star Wars Thrawn Treason by Timothy Zahn, which is the third book in the Thrawn series of Star Wars. The new one, not the the old series. It's the canon. So that was that was really good. And then I've been really into a song that's not like there's nothing that special about it, but it's just super catchy. It's called Dance Monkey. Maybe you've heard it on the radio. I don't know, but it's it's super catchy, and I don't know why I like it. The lyrics are not great, but it's just it's catchy. Well, maybe, and Clint, I may be reaching here. But maybe your love of chimpanzees makes you predisposed to loving a song called Dance Monkey. Whoa, chimpanzees are mm. not monkeys. Okay, well. Chimpanzees eat monkeys, fun fact. They talk about that in the, the Disney Nature documentary. All right, well, um, yeah, I've actually heard that chimpanzees aren't monkeys because they don't have like tails. But I was just trying to, uh, just yeah. trying to be funny. No, I, I see where you're going. And it, it mm-hmm. very well could be. But it's also just makes me want to dance every time I hear it. Yeah. And in this time of COVID, we need things that are going to make us want to dance because it's a crazy times, man. Speaking of things that make you want to dance, that would be music. As you can see, I'm great at segues. We are going to talk about one of the songs that was requested of us, I guess, a while back. Yeah, it's been on our to-do list for quite a long time. But the song is called Hero by Enrique Iglesias. We were planning on just doing that song. That was our intention. Yeah. And then I threw a curveball in our plans because uh, that's what I do. And on my way home from work today, I heard a couple other songs. I was like, this would fit so well with what we we're going to be talking about tonight. So we we're going to throw in a few songs before we get to that song, Hero. But Steve, you want to take it away? So the first song that Clint heard, a song that I personally listen to a lot in my angsty teen days. Yeah like everyone in their not everyone but most of us in our teenage years i was angsty you know i had all of my needs met both physically and emotionally but i was still full of angst and so i listened to a lot of songs like animal i have become by three days grace classic i remember listening to this song on the school bus on the way to school i listened to a lot of three days grace back in those days there were several times where I had like the movie scene where I was just like listening to this on my bed, staring up at my ceiling and just mm-hmm. like wallowing in self pity. Pretty positive. I've done that multiple times, but yeah, this came on mm-hmm. the came on when I was on my drive home and I was just like, we need to start with this. So the interesting backstory on this song is I guess the lead singer of three days grace, which is Adam Gontier or Gontier. Please feel free to correct us on our pronunciation or maybe mispronunciation. But this is actually about his, his struggle with addictions. And so, you know, you kind of go through the lyrics, you know, it starts with, I can't escape this hell. So many times I've tried, but I'm still caged inside. Somebody get me through this nightmare. I can't control myself. Mm-hmm. 
So what if you can see the darkest side of me? No one would ever change this animal I have become and help me believe it's not the real me. Somebody help me tame this animal. Let's go ahead and break that down a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So this really, I think, encapsulates sort of the despair that comes with any sort of addiction, whether it be drugs or, you know, even even some other sins, right? Because a lot of sin can sort of behave very similar, right? It sort of has a similar um, spiral of dependency and addiction that drugs do. Mm-hmm. And it's very easy, I think, to sort of despair in that and feel like you there's no way out. Even beyond like just sin, I feel like to our specific time right now, mm-hmm. I think a lot of us feel really hopeless. Yeah. And, and maybe I'm just speaking to myself here, but mm-hmm. I look around like at the church that I work at, and you know, church is supposed to be like a place of hope. And people who are coming to mass, like everyone just feels so defeated and worn down by this, what, five months now almost of, of COVID and, and lockdown and isolation and avoiding people that we've lost this idea of hope. And so this, I can't escape this hell. So many times I've tried, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm still caged inside. Like it, it literally sounds like a quarantine. Somebody get me through this nightmare. I can't control myself. Right. And so it's, this whole thing is like, I've tried to do this. I can't do it on my own. Somebody mm-hmm. help me. And so it's just this cry for help. Yeah. And there's even this line, right? So what if you can see the darkest side of me? Yeah, no, I, I get it. I think is frustrations build sometimes too. We obviously, I, I think we should be prudent in who we open up to and are vulnerable to, right? You don't want to just like put yourself out there to, to a stranger or somebody who could hurt you. But there is this sense where we do build up a lot of walls between us and others. We're afraid to be vulnerable. But I think sometimes like, you know, you almost get this apathy where you're just like, so what? You have like an emotional snap, right? Like who cares if you see the darkest side of me, like an angry part of me, like you just sort of like reach out. But I think that there is something beautiful in the song where he is actually asking for help, right? Like help me believe it's not the real me. Somebody help me tame this animal. I love that line. The help me believe it's not the real me. Especially in the context of like you talking about it being sin. Mm -hmm. So often we get stuck in that sin and believe that this is who we are and we get invested our identity into that sin. But that's, that's a beautiful like plea. Help me believe it's not the real me. This is what I believe. Help me see it not be so. I uh, have always loved the idea of a very powerful prayer to sort of break of addiction or even pray break of like habitual sin is sort of this prayer of like, Lord, help me see who I truly am. Like, help me see myself the way that you see me. And I've talked about this before, but there's a lot of links, even in like addiction that there was a study done a number of years ago where they basically, it was like on rats. And I think I've talked about this on previous podcasts, so I won't get too much into it. But they basically discovered that the rats that were like kept in cages and isolated went to drugs more than the rats that were in cages with other rats and with other like running wheels and toys and things like that. And what they found is that uh, a lot of times addiction is is actually linked more to sort of despair to this, like you, you kind of get into it with your community, but then that's why things like Narcotics Anonymous and Alcoholics Anonymous and all those other things are really helpful for breaking free because like community, like communion with other human beings actually helps us break free of our addictions better. And so there's this sense of like, I want to reach out because like, we actually can't do it alone. And if we try to break addictions alone, we will fail. So ultimately, like, 
on one hand, we could have like someone, you know, like a accountability partner, but more over than that, we need to invite Christ in. Mm -hmm. We try to do it divorced of Christ. There's really nothing we can do because one of the things you have to do is realize I'm not in control. That's why part of the 10 steps is actually accepting God because you have to kind of accept that, that you're not in control, but he is. And you can't do this, but he can. I think it's kind of interesting that you bring up the rat study because from what I've heard, one of the only industries that has like skyrocketed or gone up during the quarantine is the pornography industry. Oh yeah, all absolutely. People, all these people who are isolated and feeling so alone and it skyrockets. So it, it's interesting that you brought up the the isolated rats clung to those those vices and those addictions more so. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that there is a, there's a real sense of that. So the song goes on, I can't escape myself. So many times I've lied, but there's still rage inside. Somebody get me through this nightmare. I can't control myself. That line, it just sort of continues with, with what's going on. It's, I can't escape myself, right? Like you're, you're kind of stuck there. You're lying. Like you want to obviously like tell people like, this isn't something that's going on. Like I'm lying. I'm not being truthful about it but there's still rage, right? There's still anger at yourself, at others. It's kind of this nightmare where you can't control yourself and you're just, you're stuck, you know? And I think that it's, it's interesting because like we lie to others who want to help us, but sometimes we even lie to ourselves, but acceptance is kind of really the first step, you know, to like actually admit to someone, Hey, look, I've got a problem or, Hey, look, I'm feeling lonely in COVID. Like, Hey, I need, I need somebody else. Yeah, I think that's huge. And I think that it actually gets to the root of this song because mm -hmm. the whole title of the song is The Animal I Have Become. And so we mentioned like his identity where he, he says, help me believe it's not the real me. I think through these lyrics, he keeps saying this animal, I am this animal. Mm -hmm. He sees himself as something that's not even human anymore, but an animal in nature. And I think that's interesting not only because we've talked on here before about how sin actually makes us feel and identify as like less human mm -hmm. because he sees himself as less human. Oh yeah. He sees himself as something that's not as worthy, not as savable. And I think that really gets into the whole theme of today's episode is right. he's this, this animal who feels like he cannot be saved. And just feels it in complete desolation and isolation and caged inside. Absolutely. And, and the rest of the song really kind of goes through and repeats yeah. a lot of these same lines kind of over and over. But yeah, I think there really is this sense of, of even in this song, even though he's like, look, I'm an animal and I don't know if I'm savable. There's still this sense of like yearning for a savior. And I think there is just something innate in who we are as, as human beings that that seek redemption that even when we we do struggle or we fall like we're, we're seeking some sort of redemption we are seeking seeking a savior right that like ultimately there's something on the human heart that in our difficulties reminds us like hey like it's it's almost like a roadmap back to the father being like wow like i'm so in despair i just wish somebody would come and save me and I think that's when Christ responds, like, I have just come to me. Mr. King of Transitions, I think that leads us perfectly into the next song. Yeah, I'm, I am not as familiar with this song. So I think that maybe 
do you want to take the lead? Yeah. And actually, like I said, I had only heard this song for the first time about an hour and a half ago. And so <laughs> I, I listened to it about two or three times before coming on, but I heard it on the way home and it was just like, wow, this also fits really well into our topic. Let's talk about this too. So the song is My Own Hero by Andy Grammer. And I know some Andy Grammer songs, but I've never heard this one before specifically. So let's take a walk through the lyrics. All right. So it says, tell me, do I need to be my own hero? And then in the verse, it says, would you lay your life down? Would you give an arm or leg? Are we going to fight now? Because baby, it's the world we're against. Is it our time now? Right now? Or is it just me in the end? Is our future bright now? Tell me, is the dark seeping in? Are we all right now? Are we barely breathing again? Is it our time now, right now? Or is it just me in the end? The way I see this transition from the song we just talked about, Animal I Have Become, is exactly what you were saying, Steve, where in that desolation, in that feeling like an animal who just feels like trapped, he longs for that savior, for that hero to come in. And this song seems to be a period of doubt, of hesitation, and saying from the very first line, tell me, do I need to be my own hero? Mm-hmm. This song is written to a significant other, a, a lover of some, some sorts, and they're going through something really hard and, or he's going through something really hard and asking, are you going to be there with me or am I going through this alone? And so yeah. I think in a way we can see this person who, sees themselves as the animal in our first song is now searching for this hero, for this savior, and is wondering, are you actually going to be there for me? And there's still this element of doubt, wondering, are you going to be there or am I fighting this on my own? It's the world we're against. It's, It's what he says. Like, are you willing to lay your life down or am I by myself now? He says, this darkness is seeping in. We can barely breathe is this the time where we're going to come together or is it just me on my own? And so it's this idea of, I need a savior. I need a hero. And I want that to be you. Are you going to do that? Or am I here on my own? And it's that element of doubt. So that's what I'm seeing in the first verse. What do you think? I think so too. I would say that there's also the sense too of like, and and I, and I kind of want to hold on to this and I might even bring in the next stanza here kind of to drive home this point, if that's okay. Sure, go right ahead. And so with all that in mind, the next next lines here are, will you come running when I scream your name? The wolves are out hunting and they're coming for me. Tell me, do I need to be my own hero? Will you come running? I need to know. An army of two or am I all alone? Tell me, do I need to be my own hero? And so I think there is even this sense where when you even like listen to the kind of hero that he's looking for, right? Someone who's going to lay down their life, someone who's going to help fight them, somebody who's going to help beat back the darkness. And I, even the line of like the wolves are out hunting, right? It kind of reminds me of the way we talk about Satan, who is like a lion prowling about seeking the ruin of souls, right? Mm -hmm. Lion prowling about seeking the ruin of souls, right? And so this sort of army of two, or am I all alone? And one of the things that I think is so interesting is that there is this sense of like wanting almost like a Christ figure. And I think maybe one of the things that Andy is sort of missing, right? It's uh, sin is the is an archery, is a French archery term for missing the mark. And kind of where he's missing the mark is he's sort of looking for another human to be his Christ. Exactly. Yeah. 
and I listened to a priest whose name is eluding me, but I, I once heard him give a talk and he was like, to expect another human being to complete us, to fulfill a void in us, to carry our burdens for us is an incredible burden to place on somebody else. Mm-hmm. Just to know like the burdens that we have or what we're looking for or like to complete us, like asking for another human being to somehow complete us, that's a horrible burden to place on somebody, especially somebody you claim to love. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's important that like, there is a sense of being like, you know, there is supposed to be this army of two for each of us. There is supposed to be this hero who's going to help lay down their life, but it's Christ. Even in a marriage, like the primary relationship in all of our lives, even in a marriage, even when you have kids is Christ, is God. Like that is the primary, most important relationship. And then it is like our vocational relationship, whether that be our spouse or our religious community or our parish, those things are all kind of the primary earthly relationship by which we grow closer to God. Yeah. But like God is ultimately the primary. And we had talked about this, I think last week in the Hamilton episode, act two, but we had mentioned how parents need to focus on their vocation with their spouse before they focus on their vocation with their children, which a lot of the times is, kind of switched around. But I think this week we're going even further and saying, before you focus on your relationship with your spouse, you need to focus on your relationship with God. And all those things need to lead into bettering the relationship above it. And so just like you Mm -hmm. said, your relationship with your spouse should be a part of your relationship with with God, but God should be the, the, the center. And with your children, your relationship with your children should build up your relationship with your spouse. But in that triangle, the center should be the spouse and ultimately Christ. And so it all kind of triangles back to, to that. But I feel like that, get, that gets mixed up a lot, you know? No, absolutely. And so I was listening to a priest named Father Sebastian. I, I think I mentioned this in the Hamilton podcast, but a young man stands up and asks him, Father Sebastian, I'm, I feel called to married life. How can I be a good father? And his response was, love your wife well. And I think it's sometimes important because even in a lot of marriages, we focus like, and I'm not saying you should not focus on your children, but still the primary relationship in a marriage is between the spouses. And the love between the spouses shows a reality between God and his church. And so, yeah, so I think a lot of people, we oftentimes have really skewed priorities in terms of like it's God first and then like your spouse or your vocation and then it's like your children or or like others or things like that your children are still a priority but like they're not your vocation per se they're a part of your vocation does that make sense Clint yeah I think so and if if you guys want to know more about like what we're talking about here go check out last week's episode but yeah ultimately you need to understand like your vocation is centered around Christ. Christ. Yeah. And there's sort of a hierarchy of, of what's most important and God is at the center. Exactly. I'm kind of probably getting in the weeds a little bit there. <laughs> You're good. You're good. Going back to the chorus, I, I do think there's a lot of good stuff there. And I love what you were saying about the wolves are out hunting being like the prowling lion. Ultimately, it comes down to this sense of he's still doubting. He's still doubting that the hero, the the Christ figure is coming. And like you said, he's trying to place that in a significant other, Mm -hmm. which like you said, is unfair and just unjust. 
Like that is, that's not a just thing to do to put an unnecessary and unreasonable burden on your spouse or, or significant other. Right. So let's go ahead and take a look at uh, the second verse here, which says, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it with or without you. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it if it's the last thing I do. Do I got to save my own life, save my own life for my whole life? And do I got to find my own light, find my own light for my whole life? And so I do think it's interesting here that he brings up life and light, which we typically as Christians attribute to being rooted in in Christ. So do I need to find my own salvation, essentially? This is something, again, we talked about in the Hamilton episode where he thought he was going to write his own salvation. He even says that. And so now we see him here saying, if you're not going to be my hero, if you're not going to be here, then I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to be my own salvation. And that's, that's bad enough uh, in a, a human relationship. But when we're talking about like our actual salvation, to think that we have the capability of doing that, it's just not possible. You know, like, like you said before, in the idea of escaping addiction, we can't do it on our own. And right. so the idea of trying to just will ourselves to be able to do that is it's just not possible. We have to have that external support. And beyond that, like if we're actually talking about salvation, like the actual salvation of our souls, there's no way we as humans are capable of this. You know, that is so outside of our power and our realm of understanding that it's, it's so unreasonable to be able to picture ourselves or to even consider that something that we can do. Absolutely. And I like this second verse because it even likens back a little bit to the first one says, tell me, is the dark seeping in? And then later, like, are we barely breathing again? And so it's kind of like this allusion to the light and the darkness and sort of the life. It is sort of the original sin, right? It is pride to be like, I'm going to save my own life. Like, I'm going to be my own light. And it's like, do I got to find my own light, find my own light? And it's this sense of being like, in sort of an earthly relationship that might be good, right? To be like, I need to, do I need to find my own light? because that might ultimately lead you to the source of light, which is, which is God. But if we sort of are saying this to God, it's, you know, like, this is the source of all good. This is the source of life. This is the source of light. This is the source of goodness. Um, to be like, I'm going to try to find these things elsewhere is actually lunacy, because that's where it all originally stems from. And it, and it ultimately, like, it assumes that we can somehow save ourselves. And, you know, I'm here to say that we can't. We cannot save ourselves. There's nothing we can do divorced from grace that will get us into heaven. It's like trying to find an apple without having a tree, you know? It's like right, taking yeah. away the, the source of the fruit, the source of the light and of the life. And Yeah, it's kind of like finding a needle in a haystack, but you're standing in a desert. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're so good at analogies, dude. This is great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, that one's going to be, uh, it's a saint quote right there. It's like seeking a needle in a haystack, but you're in a desert. St. <laughs> Stephen. There you go. Uh, that's mm. awesome. This is why we don't write the songs. We just talk about them. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm not quite the poet. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. We, we know our vocation and we are doing what we can. Well, we know our temporary vocation uh, in, right. in the podcast. So with this song, the remainder... The chorus, the post-chorus, and, and the bridge that closes us out here, it's basically just reiterations of what we've already heard. 
So I don't want to spend too much time going into that because I do want to focus more on what our end song is. So our third song is, as we mentioned before, Hero by Enrique Iglesias. And I think this is what we ultimately were trying to get to. And this has nothing to do with the song itself, but I do want to point out that Enrique Iglesias is just Spanish for Eric Church, which is a country singer's name, but it's kind of ironic that his name is is church. That's pretty cool. Absolutely nothing to do with what we're talking about, but had to bring it up. Yeah. So this song also, by the way, realize it's 19 years old, which makes me feel right and old. It actually makes me feel good because I thought it was older than that. So I was like, oh, well, we're doing all right. Yeah. Well, I remember listening to it and then I'm like, wow, okay. Yeah. I remember this song from a long time ago. I was like, confusing myself because i was like is this a remake because i was like enrique iglesias isn't that old and then i was like oh wow like i just am lost in time time flies you know time flies yeah and actually what what's crazy is this was released 19 years ago but it was released september 3rd 2001 yeah is literally a week before 9-11 and so in my research I realized that this was actually one of the most popular songs played on the radio in New York City during that year. Yeah, I'd believe it. On a completely random note, that it was the first ever song to re-enter the Billboard Top 10 over a year after leaving the Top 10. That's just a random fun fact for you. But yeah, it was played a lot for the heroes of, of 9-11. So you kind of keep that in mind as we go through too. I mean, there's a little bit of similar themes, right? Like kind of in the first couple of verses of would you dance fast you to dance or would you run and never look back? Would you cry if you saw me crying? Would you save my soul tonight? Would you tremble if I touched your lips or would you laugh or please tell me this? Now, would you die for the one you love or hold me in your arms tonight? And so there's still like a little bit of a sense like this song is obviously written for another person, but there is also a sense that kind of the aim of this podcast is to recognize where these desires are ultimately coming from. And there's a great quote by, and I'm not actually quoting, I'm going to paraphrase, but St. John Paul II in Man and Women, he created um, a theology of the body, talks about eros, right? Which is sort of romantic love. And that's kind of what this song is getting at. But he talks about how eros calls forth, it draws forth from us agape which is unconditional love. It's sort of the love of God. It is this unconditional, true, and sort of perfect love. And that agape enters in and perfects eros. Like it doesn't replace eros. It doesn't have eros go away. It completes eros. Yeah. And it kind of is just this reminder of like, what is the vocation of marriage? Like what is our participation in love? And it kind of also reminds me of the, the, one of the final scenes of Les Mis where there's that great line that I've quoted a million times on this podcast, to love another person is to see the face of God. And so there's still this sense where even though the song is sort of like talking about this sort of earthly relationship, it is calling back to what love fundamentally is. And it is a participation in God and what is God's love. And so that kind of gets into the chorus, right? I can be your hero, baby. I can kiss the pain away. I will stand by you forever. You can take my breath away. And in a certain sense, like you could have almost like these lines coming from Christ, maybe not in the same way, but I can be your hero and then insert your own name. Like I can be your hero, Clint. Like I can be your hero, Steve. 
I can kiss away the pain. Like even that like confession, like reconciliation, it comes from this eyelash to eyelash, right? It's like almost this kiss of mercy. Like the sacraments are, are truly like this kiss of mercy. Yeah, it comes from the Latin reconcilia. Celia meaning like the hairs of an eyelash kind of thing. I just want to interrupt real quick and like yeah. say that uh, one of the lines we kind of skipped over here was the very opening line where Enrique Iglesias kind of like whispers to you at the very start of this song. And so this to me is kind of like a transition from song two, the My Own Hero by Andy Grammer to this song. Mm. And to me, that is like Christ's whisper response. He listens to our, our song of My Own Hero being like, where are you? Like, I need you to be my hero right now from this animal to desperately seeking the savior. And when not immediately hearing the voice, saying, I'm going to do it myself. And then we hear the whisper of, of Christ in his own time saying, let me be your hero. And then the verse that you just read out, I think that seems to me as a response. Mm-hmm. Like this is, this is where this whole situation becomes a dialogue, not a mm. monologue. And so we have the intro, let me be your hero. And then the verse is this, this person who is the animal and then the, the one searching. It's this final slight hesitation, but wonder, I think is a good word for it. Where yeah. it's, it's seeking, it's realizing this is a possibility. There is hope. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. I think it was myself and, and Gordon, maybe. We talked about how Thomas Aquinas mentioned hope as the perception of a good that is obtainable, right? And so I think for the first time, this character is seeing that his savior, his salvation, this love is finally obtainable. And so he Mm. has hope for the first time. And so those questions that he asked in that first verse, would you dance if I asked you to dance? Would you run and never look back? Would you cry if you saw me crying? Would you save my soul tonight? And then Mm -hmm. the one that really stood out to me in this whole thing, well, I guess the, the last two lines here. Now, would you die for the one you loved? hold me in your arms tonight. So now would you yeah. die for the one you loved? Saying, if, if, if you love me, would you die for me? And obviously Jesus' answer is yes, right? He, he, right. he gives his life for us. But then that last line, hold me in your arms tonight. And obviously this is, this is a romantic thing. Like you want to be held by the one that you love. But this actually reminds me of something you might be familiar with too. But it's, an, it's a, a statue that I've only ever seen in one place, but it's one of my favorite statues to look at for like uh, spiritual reflection. And at first I was kind of thinking of the Pieta, but uh, that's like Mary holding Jesus after the crucifixion. Yeah, We have a mutual spiritual director. All three of us have the same spiritual director. And a lot of the times after spiritual direction, I will go into the chapel at this parish and in the very front underneath the, the tabernacle, there is a statue of Joseph kneeling down, holding Mary in his arms and curled on Mary's lap is Jesus. And so it's this idea of Joseph holding Mary and Mary holding Jesus. And this idea of like, I know it's, it's Mary holding Jesus and Joseph holding Mary, but this idea of like Christ just holding us. Yeah. There's the, the common phrase people use a lot when talking about Mary is like being wrapped in her mantle, right? Being protected mm-hmm. by her. And it's this idea of, will you lay down your life for me? And will you, will you hold me? Will you protect me? 
you know, there's something actually like scientific in our very nature as human beings of this desire to be held from the very moment we're born, right? That's why mothers hold their infant children. And it actually has scientists and doctors, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I'm pretty positive. It has like this actual psychological effect on the baby. Even, even just beyond that, there's a lot of actual science just sort of like being held and sort of our brain chemistry with that. It's sort of like, you know, you hug somebody, but then if you have like the extended hug with somebody like, like a sort of lover's embrace, quote unquote, that actually creates sort of uh, endorphin responses in your brain, but it also like helps alleviate stress. And it actually builds like internally, like you're more likely to trust that person and like, and so there's just even something like in our physicality about like embracing that actually bonds us closer to each other. We need to hug more. Maybe that's challenge yeah. number one. If you have like mm-hmm. family that you, you're not going to contaminate with COVID, hug them for an awkwardly long amount of time. Yeah. And you will, you will feel the stress melt away. But no, I actually, I hadn't even thought of it in that way. But that was really actually a really cool point to kind of the dialogue. And then, yeah, obviously, then the, the, the chorus of Christ's sort of response, right? Like, I will stand by you forever. Oh, I did want to say this. The thing that you that actually reminded me of, like, with the, the statue that you were referring to, when I'm reading, so I'm reading Return of the Prodigal Son by Henry Nouwen. And that book, the book is about a painting by Rembrandt of the prodigal son and the father embracing the, the prodigal son. And I think there's even that sense of like, obviously that God's embrace for us, like when we return to him. Yeah, no, that, that's even better, I think, than the, the statue that I was, I was picturing. Mm-hmm. But I, I did want to bring up before we jump into verse two, just that last line from the chorus is, you can take my breath away. And this is supposed to be like a response between like lovers of like, being with you, you take my breath away. And it's, it's a, I don't know what the word is I'm looking for, but it's, it's a a session, like it's allowing someone to do this, you know, it's giving them permission to take your breath away. But yeah, in this case, what comes to mind for me, and maybe I'm, I'm off target here, but you can take my breath away. This reminds me of the crucifixion. You know, it says, I can be your hero. I can kiss away the pain and I will stand by you forever. You mm. can take my breath away. Because yeah. when we think about the crucifixion, we need to remember that it wasn't actually the, the, the nails that killed him. What killed him was asphyxiation, right? He, he literally couldn't breathe. And so mm-hmm. if you look at a crucifix, a lot of the times it'll portray Jesus with bent knees. And that's actually supposed to be more historically accurate because they would do that so that the arms being extended down like that forces the the lungs to not be able to expand properly. And so you can't breathe. And so you actually start to choke essentially. But then even going from there, in order to to be able to speak or to get breath, you have to go up on your your feet by extending those knees, causing extreme pain in mm-hmm. your, your feet. And so he actually died by losing his breath. And so I think this this phrase of you can take my breath away is an offering to say, I will take away the pain and this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to let you take my breath away. Yeah. And actually, and that's why uh, even in scripture, they break the knees of the two thieves is because they're like, all right, we got to hurry up. They have to die. It basically is like, well, they're not going to be able to stand anymore. So they break their knees and they'll just suffocate. Yeah. So they don't have to like 
have the sort of the tortured, like trying to breathe. They're just, they're not able to do that anymore. Moving on to the sort of the call response, like the next response uh, would be, would you swear that you'll always be mine or would you lie? Would you run and hide? Am I in too deep? Have I lost my mind? I don't care. You're here tonight. And there's this sense that like, yeah, and sort of the response, like our response to Christ, like there is this like, okay, can I trust you? Will you always be here? Are you lying? Are you going to run and hide in my time of need? And then like the sense of like, am I in too deep? Like, have I lost my mind? That actually even reminds me like the first Corinthians chapter one, verse 18, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Mm. And there's this sense that like when we begin to accept Christ, like it's true. Our faith sounds crazy to those who are perishing. To those who do not know Christ, it sounds crazy. But to those of us who know, to those of us who God's unlocked the wisdom, to those who understand, it is salvation. Like it is the power of God. Like it is the truth. And so that last line of, I don't care, you're here tonight. It's like this, this almost recognition of being like, I don't know, am I going crazy? Well, I don't, I don't care. You're here tonight. Like you are here. Like you are, you are present. Like, and I think that's why oftentimes like in our faith, it's not obviously, yes, there is access to reason. Like God has, has given us the ability to reasonably come to him through logic, through natural law. But ultimately, like it's an experience with Christ that drives it home, right? Mm -hmm. That ultimately we need to experience him, that ultimately it's a relationship with him that we can't just know a lot about him. We actually have to come to meet him. And that's ultimately sort of the leap of faith that we begin with is the sense of, okay, I can rationally get to the point where like, maybe there's a God, but now I actually have to try to get to know him. To be like, you could stalk somebody on Facebook all day and know all about them. But unless you like reach out to them, you have no relationship with them. Right. It's just creepy. And <laughs> Yeah, it's just weird. It Don't do that. If you are doing that, please stop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I actually think that's an awesome explanation. And I didn't even think of pulling that, that passage from Corinthians. Uh, but I think that ties the whole thing together. And this really shows in this, this final song, in that, that final line of the second verse, it shows the leap, the conversion point. I don't care you're here tonight. It's not like this crazy conversion from like zero to a hundred. We've gone through three songs and even here, he's still not fully invested. Mm -hmm. He's still doubting. He's still asking those questions, but he says, I don't, I don't care. You're here and I'm going to, I'm going to do this. And then we have the chorus, which is again, that, that response from Christ. I can be your hero. I can kiss mm -hmm. away the pain. I will stand by you forever. You can take my breath away. And this, in, in this moment, this is almost like the episode we did on Goodwill Hunting, where he says over and over to Will, the main character, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. And he says it like 30 times before Will actually believes what he's saying. And the way like a chorus works in a song, it's almost like Christ singing this chorus is saying that over and over. And we see every time he's, he he says those words, I can be your hero. I can kiss away the pain. I will stand by you forever. You can take my breath away. Every time he says that, we see this character slowly moving more and more into that conversion. Yeah. And then even to where in the bridge, it says, oh, I just hold you. I just hold you. Am I in too deep? Have I lost my mind? Well, I don't care. You're here tonight. And the last ones we already talked about, but that like the holding on like uh, 
that sense of like holding on to Christ, mm -hmm. right? That we begin to hold on that at some point we have to cling to the cross. You know, we have to cling to Christ on the cross. And uh, especially in like the craziness that we have these days with COVID. I was actually just talking to my coworker today because one of the biggest parts of my job, which is actually meeting with supporters, that is not really a thing. There are a couple people who'd be willing to meet with you, but my coworker was expressing today how sort of hopeless she was feeling and kind of frustrated because we're not able to do that and people aren't really open to meeting or like, you know, getting together. And then even being like, well, let's meet via Zoom and all these other things, like it's a lot harder. And so like our jobs have become a little bit harder because ultimately our my main job is to build relationships with people. And so it's like hard to do that from a distance. And like, that's something that we're facing and the frustration that we're facing in that. And I think just like in all facets of our life, like even beyond just like the frustration of the isolation that we're feeling, like we're even recognizing like, wow, it's even hard to like connect with other people that even if you were like, I want to reach out, it's like, well, maybe we can't, like maybe we can't get together. And I think that this sense of like, well, who do we cling to? Well, the one who I think enters into our suffering that enters into our loneliness who who suffered first right and yeah all of yeah. our suffering is a a sharing in that suffering in the same way that our story is a sharing in his story our suffering is a sharing in a very small way way yeah of, of, of his his suffering uh, and vice versa you know yeah and, and that was something too that like i i had mentioned to her because i was like yeah like i know how hard it is and then i like <laughs> And then she was like, I was going to leave because I was on my way out. And she was like, that's how you're going to leave it. And I was like, well, okay. I was like, I'll end it with this, which is just to remember that even though all of this is happening, Christ is still on his throne. Christ is still on his throne. He's still overcome the cross that as hard as it is sometimes, as difficult as it is, Jesus is still on his throne. He is still king of the world. And ultimately, that's what it means to offer up our suffering. That phrase gets thrown around a lot in, in Catholic circles to just offer it up. But that's ultimately what it means is to recognize that we are recognizing that Christ suffered first to offer our suffering as a sharing in his suffering. And to remember, like you just said, that he, he suffered, he died, he resurrected, and now he's on that throne and that has not changed and it will not change. And I think that actually leads to our challenges if, if you're good with that yeah yeah absolutely as you said the first challenge is hug somebody without spreading COVID yeah I did want to make a challenge just off of what we just said if, if that's cool I, yeah, think, I think a good challenge this week is to pray and meditate on hope mm. if, if you're like me I have been struggling a lot with hope it sounds like your coworkers are in a similar situation and just in in the world that we are in right now it is hard to find hope and we need to cling to that and we as Christians are ultimately a religion of hope and Christ is the center of that. And the reason why hope is one of the transcendental virtues is because it comes from God. And so my challenge to you is to meditate on the, the passion, but ultimately the resurrection and the idea that Christ has conquered suffering. He has conquered sin and he has ascended to his throne. And like Steve said, yeah. he is still there. And that is where we find hope. That is the gospel message. And I think we've gotten so far away from that as Christians that we have forgotten the hope and we need to get back to that. And I think now is the time that we need to do that as Christians more than ever. So that's my challenge. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and, and ultimately, too, like the thing where, I, you know, the kind of like embracing somebody as a challenge. I actually do think there is a sense of to reaching out to our loved ones, to our families, our friends, even if even if it's somebody you haven't talked to in a long time, like you're ultimately not alone. And there are people out there who care about you. If you want to reach out to us, do it <laughs> like we're here, but just like try to connect. I think that that's, that's really good because ultimately all of these songs have one thing in common and it's this desire to connect with another. So as Quint said, reach out to Christ first and, and be centered in him, but also like reach out to the people that Christ has given us, which are the loved ones, our family, our friends, and even us here at the podcast to be here, to be sort of earthly representations of his love for you, I think is important. Any shout outs? I have one kind of very specific. I, I actually don't. I don't this week. So if you want to go ahead and take it away. Our biggest shout out this week is actually going to be for Gordon, our co-host. So unfortunately, Gordon's father has passed away this week. So we just ask that you keep them in your prayers to pray for the repose of his father's soul. And his father's also name is Gordon. And also just for the Moore family as they're all kind of going through this difficult time. So please keep them in your prayers. Other than that, I don't really have any other shout outs. I think that that's probably the big one is just asking for all of you to pray for him and his family. Absolutely. And so as, as Steve kind of mentioned before, if you do want to reach out to us, the places that you can do that are via Twitter at on the adventure two is our handle. You can find us on Facebook and YouTube if you want to check out our podcast episodes are there as well. As well as way back at the beginning, we used to do adventure videos every time we went traveling somewhere. So you can find all that kind of stuff on YouTube at The Christ in Culture. You can also check out our website, which is thechristinculture.com. We have all the episodes you can find out about us, learn how to support us or reach out to us via our email and stuff there as well. So that's kind of the central hub for everything. With that, Thank you guys so much for joining us on the adventure this week. And we can't wait to see you next time. See you next time.